Good morning. Find your seats. Okay, you know what the what the usual thing is. You need to come forward, sit closer to me. Come on, everybody, up. At least move two rows, unless you're already in the front two rows. Peggy, David, Yvonne, Catherine. Eddie, good job, thank you. All right, okay, Patrick. <laughs> it's like you guys are waiting for me just to call you. Yeah, oh, okay. Good morning. Wow. How many of you felt something significant during worship time? Just raise your hands. Was it just me or? Okay, there's some others. Yeah. Wow. I was just crying and crying. Okay. Okay, well, do you ever wonder why things are so crazy? <laughs> I know I do. You know, um, you know there's challenging questions that we have to face sometimes in life. You know, I I regularly have to ask myself, Jesus, if you are really who you said you are, then why is the world as crazy as it is? Uh, You know, why do so many kids cheat in college? You know, there's a a book called They're Cheating Hearts, and uh, William Resbury did the research for that book. And in the book, he, he says that the majority of top students in college are cheating. There's an 80%, here's his quote, 80% of top college students had engaged in academic cheating and thought cheating was commonplace. Moreover, most saw cheating as a minor infraction. Yeah, and it's not just so alarming that so many of them are cheating, but that so few feel like it's an issue that they need to deal with it, like whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't seem like that's big of a deal. You know, if Jesus' kingdom is true, why did we have another shooting in our colleges last week? Why are we currently uh, finding that there are seven nations that are currently experiencing all kinds of genocide emergencies? And what that means is that they're actually experiencing genocide. Sudan, Iraq, Somalia, Central African Republic, Nigeria. On January 7, 2015, this year, 2,000 Nigerian civilians were killed by burning because they were Christians. As a Christian believer, do you ever honestly struggle with questions like this? What's happening? Ever struggle with those if Jesus is Lord and he has power over everything and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have this amazing message called the gospel, then why aren't we more successful than we are? Why so many marriages ending in divorce, even among Christians? Why do kids raised in Christian families end up barely connected to the church? Why are so many churchgoers living double standard lives? Unfulfilled, unhappy, 
addicted. The bottom line, the question is, if Jesus is really true, if his kingdom has really come, then why isn't the truth more obvious? You know, one of the biggest arguments for contemporary Jews in whether or not they're going to investigate Christ or Christianity is that for the last 2,000 years proves that Jesus could not have been the Messiah because if he were, the world would be a safer, more beautiful place. You know, and as you know, while Jesus was alive, tough questions were asked to him. You know, um, his cousin, John the Baptist, the great prophet, the one who proclaimed at his baptism, this is the one, he's the Lamb of God. When he was put in jail, he had a lot of time to think. And while he was there, he started wondering about Jesus' authority. So he sends some of his disciples to go talk to Jesus and ask him, are you the one or should we expect another? Because if you're the one Jesus, then something's really majorly wrong. Because I shouldn't be in jail right now. And the problem for John the Baptist was that Jesus was different than the way he expected the Messiah to behave. You know, where was the overthrow of the Roman Empire? Where's the judgment against Israel's people? Where's the world peace that was promised? Now, we've been in a series called More Love, More Power, and it's based from the four Gospels of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I mentioned before, the Gospel means good news. The good news that the crucified and risen Savior is Lord of all. And that he invites us to have our lives changed. Personal transformation. And not only that, but that he invites us to partner with him in changing and transforming his lost and hurting world. Jesus says, let me free you from your addictions. Let me heal you from your past. Let me forgive you from your sins. And then come on. Come with me and help me to mold and change and love this world that I love. Now, in the parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus answers um, the question that John had. And he actually, I think, addresses some of the challenges that we might have as believers and as to why the truth is not more obvious. Throughout Jesus' teaching, he talked about the kingdom, the kingdom coming, the kingdom being here, the already, the not yet. And he talks about the two stages in the kingdom, the already and not yet. One that is not as obvious, it seems intermittent, it comes and it goes, it seems a mystery, and we have to seek it out. And then the second stage, it is going to be so obvious and so open, it's going to be that no one can miss it. Now, in stage one, the stage that we're currently living through, personal life change and healing that Jesus offers to us and to the world depends on these two things, people responding and receiving. Jesus does not force his kingdom rule over people. He has given us his most beautiful, precious gift called choice, a will. So to come under the control of Jesus depends on our willingness to listen to him and to respond to his voice. And so today's talk, I've called it more love, more power, greater listening. So let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, um, you are working 
you are stirring, you are plowing, and where your soil. And I ask for you to work, Holy Spirit, through the message. That these words would fall on soil that's ready. I ask for our guests, Lord, that they would experience your welcome, your love. And I ask your protection for those who are not here this morning. That your kingdom rule and reign would break through. Amen. Okay, we're going to read together Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Okay, let's read out loud. All right, let's practice. At about that same time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he asked his congregation, telling stories, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seeds, some of it fell on the road, and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Now some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Let's read that together. Are you listening to this? Really listening. That's verse 9. Now, Matthew 13 is a chapter about the mystery and the nature of the kingdom of God that Christ came to bring. And there's seven different parables in chapter 13 in which Jesus tells us that we need to search for the kingdom. That there's a level of hiddenness. It may seem intermittent. And it may not seem as obvious. This is the part of the nature of the first stage of the kingdom. And then he describes how the kingdom of God works. And so Jesus talks about listening. Nineteen times he uses either the word hear or listen in Matthew chapter 13. So for example, in Matthew 13, 9, it says, are you listening to this? Really listening. Matthew 13, 16, and 17. But you have God-blessed eyes. Eyes that see and God bless ears, ears that hear a lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you're seeing, to hear what you're hearing, but never had a chance. Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and how it, it comes among us. And he says the hearing has a big part of that process. And the truth about Jesus will become more obvious or less obvious depending on our willingness to listen. We have to choose to listen. Now, those of you that have had children or are raising kids right now, you know there are times when you're talking to them very seriously about how they should do their chores or how they shouldn't hit their sibling or whatever the case may be. And then you see this kind of glassy look come over their eyes, right? And you know... They have tuned you out. They have chosen to not listen anymore. Right? 
Now, when Jesus is talking about hearing, he's not talking about the physical act of hearing with, you know, vibrations hitting our eardrums. He's talking about us listening with our inner ear, to listen to God's word with an open and good heart, with the intention to do something with what we're listening to and to put it into practice. How many times, don't to raise your hands, but just check it out, how many times have you sat and heard a sermon and thought, dang, I wish my brother were here. I wish my mother could hear this, right? And, you know, if you're sitting next to your spouse, you might elbow them and roll your eyes and say, this is, are you listening? Like, this is, she's totally talking about you. Right? Ever done that? I have. We hear the word of truth, but we don't apply it to ourselves. In fact, we actually very generously apply it for anyone else. Or we hear the word and we make excuses. We're too busy. We're too overwhelmed. We don't have enough money. We're too stuck. We're too far gone now. We're too something to respond to what we're hearing. So we keep Jesus' word at arm's distance because we have a stronger tug pulling on our hearts. There's no way we can do what God is asking us to do. It's impossible. So we ignore it. So the kingdom comes and the kingdom goes. And the gospel starts feeling foggy and we become to feel like it's a mystery and we're not really sure about what God's word says or how should we respond to it because we have stopped listening. The realness of Jesus and the obviousness of the kingdom affects and is affected by our willingness to listen. So now we're going to look at this parable, the four soils. And so let's start with Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. At about that time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. Now, we have to remember, and I mentioned this before, but uh, the chapters and verses, the divisions used in our modern Bibles are not necessarily, they weren't in the original scriptures. So they were created in the 13th and 16th chapter. And they were created to help students to quickly be able to find a passage, right? Instead of, let's look at the book of Matthew, it was like, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 2 to 7. Right? And so... Those divisions, those demarcations that were created were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word was inspired, but not necessarily the numbers put to the chapters and the verses. And sometimes they are poorly placed. And this is the case here. In order to understand scripture, we need to look at it in the context. And the context by that I mean we need to look at what's read before it, or after it. And in this particular case, chapter 13, in order to understand the context of this parable, we need to look at chapter 12. Because in chapter 12, we see that some very ugly accusations were given against, were said against Jesus. One of them being, uh, Jesus, you do what you do with the power of Satan. Matthew 12:24. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. So what do these people do? They decide, wait, let's ask him for another miracle. Some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. 
and Jesus declines. I mean, what was the point? I've already done miracles, and you've already rejected what you're seeing with your eyes. So you stopped listening or stopped seeing. So let's try listening. Let me tell you some stories, some parables, and hoping that maybe they would listen or at least investigate. You know, why is he mentioning Jonah and Solomon? Matthew 12, verse 42, he says, Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. So they are continuing to reject Jesus. Now, granted, not everyone asking questions in chapter 12 is rejecting what Jesus has to say. I mean, some of them were actually paying attention and wondering, is this the Messiah? Chapter 12, verse 23, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of Jesus or the son of David? So we discover that there are different kinds of people or different willingness to pay attention or to respond to God's word in chapter 12. Some were really honest seekers of the truth. Some were looking for the benefits of the truth. And some were just outright defiantly rejecting Jesus. So in chapter 13, Jesus starts with this parable of the soils, four of them. And he's going to describe the different kinds of responsiveness that people have. And so Jesus points out that just because people don't respond to the truth does not diminish the, the power of the truth. The problem is not the message or the seed. We see that it squarely rests on the listeners, the soil. Now, parents, you may be doing a great job of living integrously before your kids. And you employees may be doing a wonderful job of living your Christian walk and faith before your company. And you may have said everything that was necessary to, to uh, help your roommate or your spouse or your sibling to understand the truth of Christ. There may not be nothing wrong with the messenger. Definitely there's nothing wrong with the message. But our loved ones continue to reject the truth. The problem is found in the soil. That's what the parable of the four soils is about. Now, which leads me to believe that there is no one-size-fit formula for every way to have a great impact in the world. I mean, we are, there's lots of reading and books and seminars that we can go to that promise all kinds of things. You know, if you pray a certain way, then your spouse will come to Christ. If you give in this systematic way, then God is going to abundantly give you everything you ever could imagine or desire or want. You know, there's a lot of information out there that promises results if we follow the formula. And Jesus says, no, there is no formula. There isn't a guarantee. The way of the kingdom of God right now is still mysterious. There are too many factors involved in a person receiving the kingdom. If the kingdom is like a seed, then like any seed, it has to be intentionally dealt with. It has to be planted and watered. It has to have the right kind of condition, any sun. We can do everything correctly and not see the results that we want to see. 
And it's not because the truth is not true and not necessarily because we're being unfaithful. There are just no guarantees right now. We need to walk in faith and to sow in faith. You know, we give, but there's no guarantee that our money is going to produce what we hope will produce in the kingdom. We share our faith, but there's no guarantee that the person we're sharing our faith will believe us. We bring a friend to church hoping that some radical change will happen to them, and that necessarily may not happen that way. We contribute to missions. India, Nepal, Kenya, Hungary. There's no guarantee that there are results. So we have to have faith. The future of God's work in the world does not entirely rest on us and what we're doing. It rests on the Holy Spirit, on his empowering presence, working through us and others, and how we respond to him. And in the process, kind of be, times can be pretty slow, and we could get impatient. And so James 5, 7 says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You know, when we sow seed in the kingdom, sometimes it takes a while for it to sprout up in the ones that we love. It's a process. And Jesus talks about it in Mark chapter 4, 28. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. You know, be patient. If you're praying for a child or a friend or a neighbor or a family member or an enemy, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe in a month, maybe in a year, maybe your spouse will come along. We don't know the secret work of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart. But we must be patient and we must be generous. Let's look at this parable again. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel, sprouted it quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. And some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Now, what we see is this sower, he's tossing seeds all over the place, and it's landing everywhere. It's landing on hard ground, shallow ground, weed-infested ground, and good ground. Now, now, as I read this, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think this guy knows how to farm. I mean, this sounds really wasteful to me. Isn't it obvious that three-fourths of the seed is landing on stuff that's not going to produce And that is precisely the point. The kingdom of God is extravagant. It is abundant. It is over-the-top mission. You may call it wasteful, but I call it generous. It is a generous kingdom. God's rule and reign is extravagant. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that whenever you approach prayer, I want you to attach to it this word, which is generous. I am approaching an exceptionally generous God. I want us to say this together. Here, go. I am approaching an exceptionally generous God. Say it again. 
I am approaching an exceptionally generous God. When you go to pray, I want you to think of this. He is open-handed. He is extravagant. He is the same God who has called us to be exceptionally generous people. You know, when I hear of what some of you are doing in our community, at school, at work, your neighbor, I am so proud of you. You are making meals for people. You're listening to your neighbor tell you about her divorce. You're picking up people, taking them to school, taking them to the store, taking them to work. When I look at what our church is doing with life skills, volunteer teachers and counselors, caring for some really hurting people, people that would never step foot in a church. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to open up as a relay center for Operation Christmas Child. And some of you are going to make 10, 20, 30 boxes, and you're going to bring it to kids that we will never see. We will never benefit from those kids and their joy that they received that day. When we freely give counsel and we pray for people, you know, sometimes I have family members, not my immediate family, but other family members like my parents, my siblings, and they tell me, Clara, why are you doing this? Why do you freely give counseling? I mean, seriously, what makes you think that these people are going to want to respond to your counsel and your care? Do you ever wonder that maybe they're just using you? And they may never respond to what you're saying. Why don't you give your time to something that's going to produce? You know, something for the church. Really produce. You know, how do you know the person you're picking up and driving to work isn't just taking advantage of you? What if they are? Does it matter? My job and your job is to be generous, like our papa. I mean, how many of you have opened up your home and had people stay in your home and take and take and take and never even say thank you? When it comes to the kingdom, sowing seed, sometimes people have these kinds of excuses for not doing sowing seed. No, we have to make sure that the person is totally open before I speak. (laughs) We have to make sure that the person is totally deserving before I give. We have to make sure that the person has no agenda, no mixed motives before I help. The kingdom of God is generous. It is open-handed. It is wasteful like the farmer in this parable. Throwing seed on non-productive soil is not good farming technique. But it's what the parable is saying. You know, even if we are a little too generous and we get taken advantage, I think God can handle that. And I bet your booty, my booty, (laughs) that God is saying, there is a chip off of the old block. To harvest anything, we have to sow generously. We have to, if we want to see lives changed, we have to sow extravagantly. 
And don't fret about whether or not that person that you're trying to reach out to is 99.9% pure in his or her motives. You will not find that person. Okay, so now let's look at the here. Jesus says that the obviousness of the kingdom depends on how we listen. And so he talks about four kinds of listeners. Verse 4. A farmer planted seed, and as he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, and birds ate it. So now in first century Palestine, Palestine, the, the, they had um, these paths. And these paths would go around the fields, and sometimes they would go through the fields. And we read in chapter 12 where Jesus is walking down with the disciples, and they take some of the, the wheat grains, and they eat, eat it. And these paths that ran around along the fields or through the fields would get packed down by travelers' feet. And so when seed fell on them, they couldn't go anywhere. They were just there on the surface, and so the birds would come, and they would snatch them up and eat them. So what is Jesus referring to in this illustration? Well, we have to look later further in chapter 13, verses 18 to 19. When someone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. Now, I think Jesus is talking about people who hang out with Christians, kind of the peripheral of the church. They like to hang around with Christian families. Maybe they go to Christian schools. They're like the paths that go around the field. They like to be around people of faith because you know, we're nice. And maybe we'll pick up their lunch or maybe we'll drive them to the store. But they're unresponsive to God's word. They hear it, but they do not respond. They listen, but they have no intention of changing or being affected by what they hear. You know, maybe their hearts have been hardened by repeated traffic sin and they've never plowed up the ground of their hearts there's no sincere repentance or honest reflection about what they've done with their life the hardened path is the person who won't look in the mirror long enough to examine their own life if their life's not going well it's everybody else's fault it's my spouse's fault, it's my parents' fault, it's my boyfriend's fault, it's the church's fault, it's the school system's fault, it's God's fault. It is never their fault. There's no internal plowing. And the hardened here is the person who keeps God at arm's length. And if God ever comes and tries to get near, their hands go up and say, Stop! No more! Trespassing! No trespassing sign in the face of God. So what does that look like? You know, of all the excuses that I hear people saying for not considering Jesus, this is the most popular one by far. Well, you know, there are so many hypocrites in the church. Christians are all hypocrites. So I don't need to consider the claims of Jesus. Folks, how are we going to respond to that? I have one particular pastor who would say it this way, his response. Of course the church is filled with hypocrites. What do you expect? The church is filled with people. Right? And all people, you and me included, 
are hypocrites. We constantly are trying to give an impression that we're better than we are. We don't want our flaws to show. We pretend that our motives are pure. And there's only one person in history who can be, cannot be accused of being two-faced or hypocritical, and that's Jesus. He was the same on the outside as he was on the inside. But Jesus has changed me. And I'm not as hypocritical as I used to be. That answer really has set me free. And not be intimidated by the, the church is full of hypocrites. Matthew 13, verses 5 to 6. Some fell in the gravel and it sprouted quickly but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Now, in San Antonio, it's known for shelves of limestone. You know, if you want to plant a tree or a shrub, I mean, you're going to need to have a bulldozer, right? At the least, you need one of those iron poles where you break up the ice, I mean, the rock, and then have it hauled away. I mean, even if you want to plant an herb garden, you have to break up rocks for 12, 18 inches, Now, in Palestine, they had limestone and one or two inches of topsoil. And in that topsoil, some of the seed would drop in there, and then it would just sprout up crazy, beautiful foliage, looked healthy and strong, and then it was not going to make it because it was shallow. And Jesus says the shallow ground is like a superficial here. Matthew 13, 20. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. Now, certainly we know people who initially become Christians or followers of Christ, and they get super excited about Jesus and the church, and they go to community group, and everything's wonderful. And then, you know, maybe two weeks after camp or two weeks after a mission trip, and some trouble hits their lives, and they look like they have no interest at all in anything spiritual. And they're now into something else. You know, when I think of shallow ground, I think of someone who has not let the kingdom penetrate to the deeper levels of our soul. And that includes our intellect, our emotions, and our will. You know, some people have a thin layer of soil, and that layer may be called willpower. You know, we make willpower Christians all the time. I'm just going to do it because it's the right thing, and because I'm supposed to, and just... Forget how you feel about it. Just do it. You know, that kind of approach produces religious people, but not friends of God. You know, in our community group, we're studying a book called um, Emotionally Something. Put it up there. Yes, thank you. We're, we're looking, I mean, the title's important, but the inside is actually more important. Anyway, we're going to be looking at chapter four next week. And it's called Quit Denying Anger, Sadness, and Fear, that chapter. And the idea is that Christians have this faulty belief that, uh, you know, negative feelings, we're not supposed to really have those. And so we need to learn to ignore them and just do what is right. You know, and that kind of person gets really busy. They're usually an activist. They're running around all over the place. But underneath, there is a rock of unyieldedness of unhealed emotions from their past or their presence, and they're bottled up with anger, and it comes out in emotional outburst, 
or depression or burnout. Willpower Christians. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm just going to grind away and keep doing it. Do you know anybody like that? Are you that person? Then there's those people that always act happy. Everything's good. But underneath the surface, there is this rock, which is their intellect. And they have good questions about God, about his justice, about pain, about the Bible. And they have doubts in their faith. You know, often our kids who've been raised in Christian homes go off to college and they wipe out. Completely wipe out. Because they've been emotional Christians, and they've never let the gospel penetrate their mind. Their spiritual intellect is the size of a child. They have Sunday school answers for adult tough questions. And they won't make it in college. Matthew 13, verses 20 to 21, the seed cast in the gravel. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm But there's no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. You know, when trial hits a true Christian, we run to Jesus. When pain hits us, we say, Papa, help. I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. I'm afraid. Please help me. I need you. But when a trial hits a superficial Christian, they run away from God. The hard rock of unbelief has not been plowed. And during trials, they accuse God. The superficial Christian will say, you know, I always knew God would fail me. He was going to let me down. I always knew that Christianity was a myth. The superficial Christian has never had their mind converted to the truth about Jesus. And they've never gone deep enough to really wrestle with the questions that we have about our faith. You ever heard this? Well, you know, she left the church because she went through a hard time with her child. Yeah, you know, he left the church because it was really rough on him when he lost his job and was laid off. Or, yeah, no, they're not coming anymore because, you know, their marriage was really tough. And Jesus says, no. It isn't the trial that drives you from me. It isn't even my people. It is always your heart. It's always your willingness to hear and respond well to my truth. Our problem with God is never what's going on outside or around us, but it's what's going on inside of us. You know, trials just expose what's in there. Hard times just reveals what we really believe. I deserve better than this, God. And if you don't give me what I want, if you don't start treating me differently, forget you, God. If you don't give me my spouse, if you don't give me my new job, if you don't heal my child, if you don't give me a baby, then forget it. But the true follower of Christ says, God, I made my decision a long time ago to follow you. I gave you control of my life. I gave up my entitlements when I asked you to be Lord. Everything you've given me is already too much. I don't deserve what you've already given me. 
And then there's this third kind of soil, this third kind of hearing. Verse 7, some fell in the weeds as it came up. It was strangled by the weeds. So what's he talking about? Well, in verse 22, he goes on. The seed that fell among the weeds represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. You know, there's these prickly plants that are called weeds that are natural to the soil. You know, whereas if you're going to plant grass seeds or wheat seeds or whatever you're trying to plant and grow, you have to be really intentional about it, right? You've got to cultivate it. You've got to water it. You have to fertilize it. But these plants, they just were natural to the ground. You don't do anything. They're there. You know, if we just go with the flow, our hearts will quickly fill up with weeds. The weeds will crowd out our ability to hear God's word and respond to it. You know, we are naturally lazy people. We are naturally like to sleep in. We naturally flip through our phone several times a day to see what everybody's saying on Facebook. We naturally like to play on the computer for extended periods of time, and we naturally like to sit and watch Movie after movie after movie, right? We naturally like to hold on to our money and to spend it the way we want when we want to. Without intentional cultivation, our heart will naturally fill up with anxiety and fear and anger and lust and greed. It's unnatural. It's unnatural to cultivate self-restraint and self-denial. It takes effort to set the alarm and to get up early and to spend time with God. It takes effort to gather with others to pray and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to come down. It takes deliberate, intentional effort to tithe a true 10% to your church. It doesn't come naturally. We are not natural tithers. It's unnatural when we're tired and we just want to veg out and we've got to drive 15, 20, 30 minutes to go to community group and to extend ourselves to care for other people. Spiritual growth and the growth of the kingdom of God in our life is unnatural. The Christian life is not natural. It is not willed power life. It is a supernatural empowered life by the Holy Spirit. It's a foreign seed. It doesn't just pop up naturally from the soil of our hearts. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, In their pride, the wicked do not seek him. In all their thoughts, there is no room for God. Now, if we follow our natural inclination, there is no room for God in our life. The weeds will choke out the seed of the kingdom. We need to make space for God because the daily routines of life, cooking, cleaning, hauling the kids around, working, deadlines, shopping, travel, girlfriends, boyfriends, soccer, gymnasiums, class, ballet class, they all flow out of our lives naturally. What is unnatural is to attend to God and to his purposes. Then finally, Jesus speaks about the last soil of the good listener, Matthew 13, 8. Some fell on good earth, 
Praise God. And produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. So what's he talking about? Verse 23. The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. You know, we're going to make up for the three-fourths that just went nowhere. The good listener is the person who allows Jesus to make a difference in their life. This parable is designed to answer the tough question. If Christianity is true, if the gospel message is true, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, why don't we have more impact? Jesus' answer, the problem is not me. The problem is not the message. And the problem is not necessarily the messenger. The problem is that the word is falling on hearts in various stages of responsiveness. Now, folks, do not take this sermon as an excuse to judge the hearts of people. Our task and my call to us as a people is to sow generously like the farmer, foolishly, on any kind of soil that God brings before you. Be giving, be extraordinary in your giving, in your service, in giving your love. And then leave the results to God. Okay, that was long. Whew. All right, three questions I want you to think about. And that's how we're going to kind of close. Number one, close your eyes, please. Gosh, it gets so bossy. I want you to ask in your soul, whether you're a Christian or not, strong or, or weak, whatever, ask this question, what kind of soil am I? Am I hardened? Am I superficial? Am I distracted? Or am I opened? And you could be a combination on them depending on what topic it is. Okay, now keep your eyes closed. In the gospel, the good news is about God, what he's done through Jesus Christ, his blood, and he invites you to personal transformation, to change. That's his invitation today. And if you're hard and superficial, distracted, Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to plow the rocks and the weeds out of your life. And if you say, you know, I feel pretty open, then I want to ask you, how are you doing in partnering with the Holy Spirit to transform and love his lost and hurting world? Okay, keeping your eyes closed, I've got two more questions. Question two. How intentional am I living? If I'm making space for you, God, am I intentionally sowing? Am 
Am I an extravagant giver? Last question. Is there someone in my life that you are inviting me to sow extravagantly in? Papa, you're at work. Holy Spirit, you are working. This was a lot. I think it felt like a fire hose this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you keep them wet for a long time with your word. And whatever needs to stick with stick. Thank you for the invitation to personally change. And for the invitation to personally partner with you to love your world. Sweet Jesus, thank you. I just bless you now with the presence and love of Jesus that you would go out like that reckless farmer and live extravagantly for the king's purposes. Amen. All right. If you would like some prayer for healing, for something going on in your life that's troubling you, or like you think, ah, I'm a little confused by this sermon. I think I need a little bit more help. Then come up and pray. There will be some nice people up here to pray. And, you know, if you are one of those nice people that come up here and pray, remember that after you pray for someone, you can still need prayer, right? So get prayer from the person praying with you. or find, Don't just walk out, well, I gave, I gave, and I didn't get anything back. No, you get prayed for too, okay? And we'll see you next week. Bless you. I love you all.